So she's been, we've been together ever since that period where I was getting into like starting to focus on downhill racing. I did that for a few years and she traveled with me to races and things. Um, and just long story short there, uh, I found I was not the best version of myself at races and I was really stressed out. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot about it that I didn't handle well, mm-hmm. uh, I guess emotionally. Mm-hmm. And um, I had to kind of just pull out of that yeah. and, and just go back to just riding bikes because I love riding bikes. Welcome to the Overcome Cafe, Tales of Mind, Body and Relationship, the podcast centered on driven people and how we can help their better manage those three arenas we just said earlier, the mind, the body, and the relationships. I'm your host, LP Landry, and this week's guest is Matt Search. Matt is a cyclist and is such a great person to talk to. He's that type of person where you start talking for five minutes with him and you end up like three hours later still talking in deep subjects and you kind of want to just absorbed all the knowledge he wants to share with you. So this is a great tale of how he got into cycling and how relationships actually in this experience plays a huge role on the cyclist he is today. So hang on guys, this is a great treat. And I decided to name this episode, the prequel to a collaboration part one, because yeah, like I said, Matt loves to talk and I love to talk. Uh, so I decided to actually invite him and he accepted our invitation to join us for an extended period of time. So welcome to the prequel to a collaboration part one with Matt Search. So I turned on the machine, so I'll just confess to everyone online. I turned on the machine, I had Matt speak for 15 minutes, got to know Matt a little bit better, but yeah. unfortunately, we I didn't press record, so that's on me. That'll be my first vulnerability moment that everyone gets to <laughs> laugh at, but Matt is going to be a great sport. So we'll start with the, the mountain biking and hockey. I, okay. I love that, and well, everything. Like You can yeah. start from the sure. past if you want to. Okay, so... So I would, you know, we're talking about the past here. So I, I tried to frame that up and I'll, I'll go back to this, uh, a distinction between, you know, an early phase of life for me growing up in Ottawa, uh, being obsessed with hockey yes. and all things hockey uh, in, in an era when, uh, there were no Ottawa centers, there was yeah. the Toronto Maple Leafs, there was Montreal the Canadiens, yeah. the Nordiques out of Quebec. So, yes. Uh, I was an Anglo kid, um, my mother's American, uh, so I'm quite quite Anglo, and, uh, and, and identified with Toronto Maple Leafs. That yes. was my team. All about them. All yes. about hockey. And uh, who was your favorite player back then? Well, so I was into goaltending uh, yeah. primarily. So yeah. actually, uh, my favorite player was Alan Bester, yeah. who is a very obscure yes. uh, goalie who was pretty yeah. acrobatic. Yeah. And um, I, I was a, I was a big fan. Most people don't know him unless they're a fairly hardcore hockey fan. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Um, yeah. yeah, growing up Montreal Canadian fan, I, I'm aware. 
Oh yeah, that's cool. That's cool. <laughs> people know. People who were paying attention, yeah, they know. Yeah. Um, so he was a regoli. That's true. He was. He he had he had a pretty pretty good glove hand. Yeah. And uh, I think this is illuminative for myself as an adult now. Yeah. I look at like what was I into and why and what are the sort of like the common themes and threads. Um, I think I like a little bit of flair and mm. style. Yeah. In in sport. Yeah, uh, and that's the you know in in others uh, that's what I sort of appreciate in others and and in myself I don't really like a a, a robotic approach to performance. No. Uh, so Bester was very uh, flamboyant, you could say he had to be. He was very small. Yeah. Um, and I even used to draw. Uh, I used to draw uh, goaltenders like action, uh, nice. um, uh, drawings and things. And so he 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 was one of my subjects. Um, so before, <laughs> so cool. before 10 years old, I, I wanted to play hockey really bad. Yeah. Um, my, my dad's approach was, and I was living, uh, with my dad and my stepmother and my mom, uh, was living, uh, also in Ottawa. So there's, they were divorced. Um, and he said to me, you know, you can play when it's clear that you're really committed to this and you've been bugging me for a while. Okay. That was his approach. Okay. Which, which I understand as a parent, I understand. Um, so by 10, he said, okay, yeah, I think you're actually committed to this idea. Let's, yeah. let's sign you up. I, I started playing goalie. I played for, uh, a couple of years, two, three years, I guess, goalie from house league to competitive. Yeah. Um, then I, you know, tried out for the, the higher level team and got on there and continued on and did that for another year or two before transitioning out of goaltending, uh, to become what I thought would be a left winger. Yeah. Uh, what was actually a defenseman. Uh, really? Uh, because, uh, I, well, my coaches were, were actually running a camp I did in summer one year, yeah. which I rode to with my gear on my back, my back <laughs> on my bike. And uh, <laughs> I did that a couple of years at uh, yeah. summer camps. And um, So the bike back then was uh, a means to an end. The, the bike was integral. And, and yeah, I'll cover that. that mm -hmm. That's a big deal, I think. Um, so my coaches, they, yeah, I, I did pretty well as a left winger. I played outdoor hockey massively, um, okay. right? Like every, every hour possible in a wow. week I played outside wow. and froze my feet, uh, every day. And, um, they, they identified that I was on the biggest side and I had a pretty solid slap shot because wow. I practiced that like crazy. Um, yeah, there's a lot of threads here. Yeah. And, uh, and so they ended up deciding that, you know, when I tried out for our, our team that they would put me on defense. So I spent, you know, the rest of my quote, uh, hockey career playing defense and trying to crush people. Yeah. Uh, no joke. Um, which is a wow. very interesting dynamic, uh, and scored a few goals. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> so yeah. It went really differently. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so instead of scoring the 40, 40 some goals, you're scoring 15, maybe 10, well, maybe 15 over a couple of years. Yeah. But, yeah. It was kind of a big deal to score as a defenseman. Right? Oh yeah. yeah totally. Very common. But I mean, your, your metrics there, my metrics at the time were more like, um, what big sort of moves can I do to, to make an impact, you know, more on the defensive yeah. side. And one of those metrics is like, how can I crush other players? sufficiently yeah like flay them out yeah um which is how old were you at that point so that was like that period was probably 14 15 16 yeah 14 15 16 those three years probably okay 
Yeah. And when like as players you're on the bigger side now yeah. and on the stronger side. Yeah. So you can definitely hurt people and get hurt. Yeah. Um so, you know, okay, that was that was unfolding with the hockey, but concurrently, um, since about twelve years old, I got into riding bikes in a different way. So the basis was the neighborhood I lived in in old Ottawa um south or uh, sorry, uh not old but Ottawa South. Um, was relatively spread out. Okay. Like it was kind of a, an old suburb, really. Yeah. And there were a few critical sort of um, places that our, my friends and I spent time playing sports and everything through summer. Yeah. And the RA Center was one of those places. Nice. Um, so we would go to the pool, um, you know, all the time, especially in those early, like those adolescent years, go to the pool in the summer. Uh, and, uh, and then it became playing beach volleyball. Nice. Like so once, once I was in high school, I started playing volleyball on the team and played through five years. And then we played beach on in the summer. Yeah. So I had a crap. I had a bike. I had a banana bike. Yeah. Um, which a lot of people of our generation will know. Banana yeah. Bike. That was my, my first fir- my own fir- bike. My first bike as well. Yeah. With a blue banana break. bike. Mine was green. Yeah. Metal flake green. <laughs> and I broke the handlebars. Yeah. I broke the fork. Me too. Yeah. I broke the seat because I was jumping it because I wanted to have a BMX. Yeah. And we watched the movie BMX Rad, oh, yes. and then yes. you know, didn't have a BMX, had a banana <laughs> bike. Um, so <laughs> I rode that bike in the city. I rode that bike. My dad and my stepmother had a place outside Perth with dirt roads. So yeah. I rode that and explored wherever I could. That The next bike was a pretty crappy department store mountain bike mm-hmm. um, that looked like a mountain bike was, was not at all appropriate for that. Yeah. And so that was used for getting everywhere with friends. Yeah. So when my bike was broken or confiscated, which was a punishment, <laughs> it was the worst punishment I could get. Oh, oh yeah. It happened more often You just lose I. freedom right there. Yeah. No bike. No bike for a week. Now I have to run everywhere. Wow. I have to run. So my brother's going to ride his bike to go to the park, go to the oh. RA. Uh, or wherever, and I got to run or get a dub. Yes. Get a yes. double ride. If, if, he, if he's nice, <laughs> give me a dub. Um, so I, I'd mostly be running. Kudos to like, your brother right there. Yeah. Yeah. So he did. He was two years older and strong. So so the bike was just like independence, right? Yeah. Um, from only being allowed to ride on a path right by my house up until a certain point. Yeah. Like, oh, my God. To, okay, now you're allowed to ride a couple blocks now and you can ride wherever you want. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's what I'm doing, right? I'm going to ride wherever I want. So, so around 12 years old, I think it was, um, I heard that there were trails in Gatineau Park. I, I didn't know what Gatineau Park was, but like yeah. something had like a map. Because right? like, Ottawa South to Gatineau yeah. Park, that's a, a good a good pedal for a kid yeah for yeah. a kid it would you know it's gonna be it's gonna be probably uh you know eight-ish kilometers yes and so we heard there were trails there and uh and a crew of us maybe five went one summer i i'm pretty so certain good. i was 12 years old and we rode there and it was a mission and we rode on the trails that were what we now would call the prison trails yeah at the the southmost uh aspect of the park yeah. And immediately I was like, wow, this is phenomenal. Because I've been riding little stuff that you could find yeah. in the neighborhood. Um, but now there's a bunch of it. And it was so fun. <laughs> I was hooked immediately. So we did this ride and I remember somebody's bike broke and we dealt with it or whatever with like our fingers, I guess. And um, made it back home. And then I was immediately trying to get guys to go with yeah. me again. Let's yeah, go yeah. again. And nobody else was really into it. Really? So, so my brother went with me, I think, uh, maybe once or twice more that summer. He was working a job, a okay. summer job. The next year, and so I, I think this is at 13, 
it was a similar thing where like nobody really wanted to go. Uh, so I would just go and my brother would go sometimes. So I was riding to Gatineau Park and doing mountain bike rides by myself, yes. breaking my bike, uh, walking home from Gatineau Park with a broken steer or two, oh, yeah. and walking by the X, the X at Lansdowne one day while my friends were in there because I was supposed to be back and go. Okay. And instead I was walking four hours back home oh. with, carrying my bike. So yeah. that's that's the it's more than a walk of shame. That's like yeah, yeah your friends are epic. oh wow, that's yeah. an epic walk back home right it, there. It felt really epic. Yeah. Um and, but, then, and it and it was. It like was. in the younger years in our life. Yeah. Those events yeah. they forge character. They do. They do. And and it and I there's no question for me. Like I was putting myself in situations where I was gonna have to deal with the the problem. Yeah. Uh, or I was going to sleep in the woods. That's it. That's it. That's it's it. really that simple. There's nobody. I have. There are no cell phones. Yeah. There's nobody to call. No. Nobody's going to come bail me out. I have to figure this out. And there were many, many, many occasions where I thought I might be sleeping in the woods tonight. Oh wow. Uh, how am I going to do that? Yeah. And I was in scouts as a kid, and and I had like I was into that yeah. kind of thing. Like I kind of knew, you know, I had matches. With yeah. In, You're... My, in my fanny pack. <laughs> You know, <laughs> like I had stuff. So always prepared yeah. right I was there. as prepared as I could be. For a that kid, age. that's huge. For a kid. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, adventuring, right? Getting out there. And and so the, the sort of trajectory of, of developing through mountain biking uh, and my brother and me getting all the magazines, like subscriptions mm. that we could yeah. and reading every single word of every single page, right? That was developing. And I was still playing hockey, but on that trajectory, um, you know, my, my, my co-players, my teammates were becoming increasingly interested in other things yeah. uh, because we were playing not at the absolute highest level. So everybody on some level probably knew they weren't going to become professional, yeah. right? Yeah. For sure. Weren't. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, kind of waning. And uh, we lost a lot. And uh, probably girls at that point. That's right. I think cars, those things, the, exactly. the adolescent things there. Well, all the normal things. Yeah, yeah. All the normal things. And I felt, uh, you know, um, we have a gap here in coaching. Uh, <laughs> I don't really know how to get better. Yeah. This was an issue for me. Mm. Uh, I know we're losing a lot. I yeah. don't really know how to contribute more. Yeah. Like I, tr I put in every effort I can. I play hours and hours outside. I do all the things I can think I can do, mm. uh, but there are gaps. Yeah. And, uh, and I feel like we're kind of just like starting to waste our time here. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, with mountain biking, the development curve was, you know, expansive. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> relatively steep curve, I guess, yeah. but also expansive because you can see, wow, there are some skills and, and abilities being, being, you know, that's uh, it. Uh, d developed, you know, in the professional ranks that, that I can inspire to. And in order for me to go from where I am today to there, yeah. I don't really need anybody to drive me anywhere, per nope. se, like hockey. Yeah, that's it. You it's, know? You're less dependent on other people. Right. It and, felt that And way. I do ther therapy the same way in the sense like I like to provide guideposts. Yeah. And people get to them when they get to them. And it's exactly what you're describing right there. It, it, we're losing guideposts. We don't have a reference yeah. as to what I can be next. In yeah. hockey, and then you can go in mountain biking, and it's like, actually, I can do this by myself. I can go in the woods, get lost, have matches, and survive. <laughs> and that, oh, look at the picture. Yeah. That guy is ripping. Yeah. That guy's doing something, and yeah. I want to do it as well. Yeah. I'm guessing. I'm paraphrasing, yeah. of course. No, I, th I think it, it felt pretty um, open. 
you yeah. know like there's different ways you can go there's different disciplines there's different types of rider mm. you know and it, it kind of felt like you know however much i put into this i'm going to get out of this because in the early development phase with with cycling the more you ride and the harder you ride the fitter you get yeah for a while yeah for a while yeah right and then the the, the repetition of skill um, development like of, of just sheer reps of doing a particular movement skill whatever it is that's how I had trained in hockey I didn't call it training I call it practicing but like I used to be in the basement in our place in in Perth which was kind of open concrete yeah. and I would do uh, I wouldn't go for dinner until I did a hundred uh, sh- shots or wow. I wouldn't go for dinner until I hit the crossbar ten times yeah those kinds of things yeah those were the kinds of little challenges I like to set for myself uh, because, uh, well, I liked what I was doing exactly. and I wanted to gamify it exactly. on my own. That's it. And so with cycling, it was similar. Like I would, okay, I'm going to do uh, 10 bunny hops and clear the thing and not touch it. And I'm going to do wheelies and ma- and then later manuals. Like I spent hours outside our yes. place in center town, my mom's, uh, 10 o'clock at night with my brothers there on the porch sitting and I'm doing wheelies on the street. Yeah. That's how I learned a wheelie yeah. from t- tens and tens and hundreds of hours of <laughs> doing wheelies on idle time. Oh man. Right. That's, that was kind of the mentality, uh, or just the default. Almost. I totally relate yeah. to this. Uh, as a teenager, I was a snowboarder and I used to wake up earlier than anyone else. I had built this makeshift jump behind my house would get up at like for a teenager at that point, I'm approximately 14, 15, 16, 17. So all those years, I would not, like this key hill only open at 10 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. So I would wake up yeah. 4.30-ish, 5 o'clock in the morning, grab my snowboard. I would smell like I went to the gym before going to school because I, <laughs> I would snowboard until I had no choice. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. The stereo- stereotypical mom, come in, come inside, I have breakfast. And she would call me in because I would love that so much. I would get up and yeah. just grab my snowboard. And same thing, we were relating to this earlier in the lost tape, which I'll call from now, yeah. the lost tape with Matt Search. But we are we're talking about the moment where you sort of earn your money to buy that first bike i remember i relate to this i used to dig up worms five cent the worm a full summer get up at early in the morning to buy that first snowboard yeah that was the best it it was a crappy snowboard i have to admit crappy snowboard but still i could do pro things now yeah yeah i as you're saying that it makes (laughs) It reminds me like as a, so I have two kids. I have a 16 year old daughter and a a 10 year old son. And, um, I, I have tendencies towards sort of somewhat harsh parenting Mm. techniques, Mm -hmm. you know, style. And it's, it's because I relate their reality to my reality. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't have any training on parenting. Yeah. Uh, I've read a few things. Yeah. Uh, You know, I, I, I'm self-reflexive, you know, reflective. Um, but I relate their experience to mine and try to like, I, I have a valence of like, well, what I went through as a kid, some of it, the good, the bad, and the ugly, you know, a lot of it was productive in positive ways Yes. and character building. And, and I have an anxiety, you could say 
or a fear that my that my kids will actually miss out on character development that's key to them yeah um because of a, a lack of challenge and this is the respect. thing I, I get to do i'm cutting you off yeah. i'm sorry but it's the thing i get to do as well because i am a driven person i'm a driven person that's for sure that's why the podcast yeah. got star started it's sitting down whichever arena you're in if you're a driven person i sent you an email yeah i've asked you to come here so that i was studying mad search a little bit before i sent you an email and inviting you because i was going to yeah. talk to this population the people who are driven and i think you are a driven person so it's tough for driven people sometimes to use um empathy and a more and, and value empathy uh with our children our close ones because we get stuff done yeah so there's the basic assumption that if i can do it everyone can the over generalization yes. part of it so it's, then we transpose our own past yeah. to the children yeah i'm so nodding so. if we were on video there'd be people would see a lot of nodding yeah um <laughs> when, when when you asked like initial question in the lost tape was you know how do you how do you sort of Uh, describe how would you describe yourself you know yeah uh and and i said well it depends on the day you know yeah. it depends on the, con the last conversation i had with my my wife probably yeah um so empathy i have recently characterized myself to to someone i forget the, the conversation is uh, i said i'm not a very empathetic person mm. you know like i i know this yeah i know this now today i'll give you a gift today <laughs> if i can sure You are an empathetic person. I'll tell you why, okay. if it's okay. Yeah, I, I'll clear. build my case first, and yeah. then I'll give you the tool today so you get so you see it for yourself. Because yeah. empathy is not only I feel what you feel. Most people give that definition. And the other definition, which is broadly used, is, oh, I imagine being in the shoes of. Mm -hmm. But while we're doing this, it's not necessarily we're, we're working on assumptions. So I remember I used to love in anthropology, uh, cultural relativism, mm -hmm. uh, Margaret Mead. Yeah. So <laughs> I remember that. I'm like, this is empathy for anthropology. And again, uh, I feel what you feel. So right now we're in this culture of vulnerability, openness, authenticity, which has hit a whole other level with these things, podcasts, mm -hmm. social media, and stuff like that. Yeah. But empathy is a feeling but it's also cognitive. Yeah. So if you're able to keep the balance between the two, then you have empathy in the middle. Yeah. And you're great at, at analyzing. So that's a tool you have. Yeah. You've built on that. So feelings, it's basic. Mad, sad, glad, fear. And yeah. then we do that and we look and if you can imagine, because it's imagination. Yeah. Let's be honest. Yeah. It's not like this. We use affect to evaluate if our feedback is working. What, what if the person's having a bad day that day? Mm -hmm. What if our child is withholding? Yeah. Which happens a lot. Like my children, they amaze me, but I have to constantly remember that I am driven in a certain way. They might be driven, but even that dash of drivenness mm -hmm. is not mine. Mm -hmm. It's theirs. Yeah. And I get to be the happy observer of this. So yeah. you're, we've been talking front and back, like yeah. ever since you came in yeah. <laughs> and even on the, on, while meeting you, it's our first meeting today. So yeah. of course it's not like I've known you and I, I get to cheat sheet and use 
our history together to talk about this. But yeah. I, I see that you are able to take the emotion and analyze it. So you have empathy. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a, well, clearly that's a lot of, a lot more nuance, right? Than yes. we tend to deploy. Yes. Um, just in, 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 you know, conversation with friends, colleagues. That's you know, it. Partners. It, it, we kind of have a reductionist sort of approach, right? With yes. these kinds of concepts. Um, my, my wife uh, has, a, she has a degree in, in psychology. Yes. Uh, it's, I love that. That, that um, you know, there's a reason why people do degrees in psychology. Yeah. There's always a specific... I would have been a goalie in hockey as well. Yeah. <laughs> I love Patrick Roy. Yeah. So that, well, that was my I goalie. I can blame you. Um, so my, my, my wife had particular reasons for doing that. And I think, um, you know, the, the cultural sort of era yeah. and, and her, her background shaped you know what was sort of sticky for her in psychology yeah um and then also what sort of she carried forward into her master's degree nice. which was in in communication studies and uh and then her phd which was in uh well we were in the same program yeah McGill, um but it was our history communication studies program so for a master's or a phd you come out with one or the other yeah. depends on the, the flavor of your your work Okay. Um, but she. Thank you for that. Yeah. So she was studying ultimately, um, like I, uh, subjectivity, um, and and animal sort of animal subjectivity. Oh, nice. Um, and and that was coming from a uh, sort of compassionate, uh, you could say, animal rights perspective. Yeah. But more about like what is our treatment of animals, mm. sort of mean for who who and what we think we are yeah as as a species and as oh, individuals man. like so we've been the two of us um became you know vegan um about 17 years ago wow. uh, and way she, before it was popular there i think so yeah i wouldn't say it was popular it's pre uh, it's pre supersized me so probably yeah <laughs> it was it, it was still a fringe thing and and you know it, that's a whole other conversation oh I yeah guess, yeah but, um, a lot of that came out of, for me, it was ethical. Yeah. Uh, I did a, I did a, a, a course in, in undergrad on environmental ethics and, uh, I was, uh, I was pretty interested in ethics in general because part of what drew me to philosophy was actually the, the sense that I didn't have the skills and the tools to handle really difficult, um, human situations. Mm-hmm. Um, that were really sensitive emotionally. Yeah. So, you know, for example, uh, I've told my kids this story a couple of times because it's one of my most regrettable moments in my life. When wow. I was a kid, I, I was babysat by a, by a woman across the street. She had two kids, uh, an older daughter, a younger son. They were significantly older than my brother. They were five, six years older than, wow. than my brother and me. And, uh, and the daughter had, had some developmental uh, mm. disabilities. Mm. Um, and I was over there one, one day after school. Uh, my babysitter was, was very sad because her brother had died. Oh, wow. And, uh, and I was outside. Uh, the daughter came home. And I said, hi, um, your uncle died. Mm. I told her, I told her your uncle wow. died. Because I knew something yeah. that was like juicy, a juicy 
information yeah that to my child brain yeah and she went in she was very upset and then you know now her mom has to deal with the extra you know mm-hmm. sadness of being shocked by the kid telling her yada yada i got in a lot of trouble for that from wow. from my from my dad right it's like how old were you at that point probably six or seven yeah something like that okay so you know that was a a shameful experience mm. i realized after you know after getting in trouble that that was really really uncool and like why did i do that why what drove me to do that mm. it was some kind of like a little bump you know for me to like hey nah, 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 right yeah. that's that's fucked like maybe that's, but I, in, th- then i'll wear my therapist hat my and i'll i'll give you the compassion yeah. there so in my mind at in time, your mind at that time of course so I think that was part of an experience, a part of experience that built over time yeah. where, you know, I, 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 it's usually been around deaths. So people, yeah. people in, in my sphere, you know, having died, it's, it was not somebody ever directly mm-hmm. indirect, like a, a sibling or yeah. a parent, uh, but a little bit uh, further outside that sphere uh, and going to weddings and things and like just not knowing how to be, mm-hmm. not knowing the right things to say, mm-hmm. right? Like when cards would go around or whatever, you know this would be more later. Um, like I didn't want to just say things that mm. people said. Yeah. I want to say something that matters. Yeah. Uh, they will actually help somebody yeah. in some way totally in this agree. horrible situation. Their yeah. life. And I thought, you know, I don't really, my, my parents, like there's a great, the story of my parents is insane. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, they were born again, Christian. Wow. Uh, so my mom, my mom was actually, so yeah. my mom's parents were converted okay. when my uncle came back from Vietnam. Wow. He was converted by Billy Graham. Wow. They're, so they're American. Uh, they were converted. Their family was in turmoil in yeah. this period with mental illness and all kinds of things. Uh, my mom was brought into that at 12 years old Yeah. and she wasn't buying it. Mm. My dad uh, was effectively sent from from Ottawa at sixteen to a commune in the U.S. because Whoa. his he was he was living basically on the street. Okay, uh, and this commune was born again. Wow, uh, it was crazy town. They were in high school together. That's wow. where my parents met. They got they escaped effectively. They mm. ran away to Canada. Okay, and got married. Wow, at uh, nineteen years old, uh, and so. You know, they they had both exposures to different forms of Christianity, mm-hmm. you know, one fairly extreme. They effectively disavowed that. Yeah. And uh, and I was I was raised in, in an absence of any kind of uh, organized religion. OK. Uh, and, and also kind of, you know, sketchy, weird sort of dynamics around. Uh, morality like where does it what's it yeah about? like yeah. where's where is yeah. this coming from kind yeah. of because two different households yeah with different sort of codes yeah you know, certainly yeah and so i was in a position where when i learned about this thing called philosophy um through my wife yeah and that's through an injury uh, really yeah, so the injury the story there is uh, <laughs> I feel like I like I have so many tangents, but the story there is <laughs> no worries, um, no worries. <laughs> I I I was I broke my foot while dirt jumping. This is mountain bike dirt jumping. I for a period of years I was, I was really uh, doing wow. that. That was my primary sort of uh, mountain bike sort of activity um, or domain strain. Uh, I broke my foot, and um, it was in a September. I was working at a bike shop at that time. I was out of high school. Okay, I was with my wife. She was in university uh, at Ottawa U, and I w- we had a bachelor apartment. 
uh, it was dial up internet era. Uh, so like it's basically a non thing. You can do email. Yeah, uh, that's it. Yeah. We had a lot of books, um, because my wife was studying, she was doing communication studies, uh, psychology, wow. a bit of philosophy at, at school. Uh, she proposed a few books to me to read. I had been a big reader as a kid. It was forced upon me. Yeah. I had like required reading hours and stuff. Wow. So I was a big reader as a kid, but then I was out of it significantly as I was working and a young adult. Yeah. Um, Matt, you should read this. So I was reading like Neil Postman, for example, it's his cultural, uh, cultural sort of, um, cultural studies. Okay. Of, so, right. Okay. So it's overlapping. Yeah. Uh, for sure. Like sociology, yeah, yeah. cultural sociology. Yeah. So. Right. Um, oh, this is interesting. Okay. Um, by the way, at this point, I did, I'd never heard of philosophy, probably. Like, I've heard somebody say, <laughs> oh, it's a philosophical question. Like, <laughs> okay. Oh, oh, that's a question there's no answer to. Yeah, that's yeah, like, yeah. That's, that's yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. And, the stereotypical uh, thing of philosophy. Yeah. I know, I know. Exactly. I understand. Yeah. So I had very little concept. My parents had never gone to university. Yeah. Um, nobody in my family. Wow. Uh, except for my, my grandfather in the U.S. was a mechanical engineer and his Whoa. brother was a philosophy professor Whoa. who I never met. Okay? Bizarre, right? But like, but also not. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Right. The, so nature versus nurture right there. Uh, yeah, I think so. Big yeah. time. Uh, and he was also a musician, my grandfather. Wow. And so anyway, um, huh. so <laughs> read these books. I started reading these books. I go, damn, like, this stuff is so fascinating. It's absolutely <laughs> relevant. Yeah. Because this this stuff is about what's going on in culture, Western yeah. culture now. Yeah. What's that about? Yeah. Right? The political economy and these different threats. Hmm. This, this stuff is like really fascinating. <laughs> and uh, and so she goes, you know what? I think you should come with me to this class. It's a communication studies class. Because you, you can do this thing called auditing. Yeah. And it's like, if you ask a professor, <laughs> you can, you can be allowed to sit in a class yeah. and without paying. Nice. And, uh, and so she said, I'll ask him. And, and if he says, yes, you can come. <laughs> and he said, yes, I went to this class, communication studies class. It was being taught by a guy named Jeff Stahl, okay. uh, who is teaching now in, in, in Auckland, New Zealand. Nice. Um, he was, uh, he was a PhD student at the time at McGill mm. in the program. That we went going to. and he was the best lecturer i i had ever seen because i had seen exactly zero yeah i uh, but he's also the best i've ever seen wow through my the rest of my he became a guy post for you again yeah you yeah. see it, it's Absolutely. funny when i was reading your thesis it's a little bit what i i'm sure it evokes different feelings for people but one of the things that's funny because uh, what attracted me to your website, the, the technicecycling.com website, I, I'm plugging it in. I have to plug it in because it, it was an inspiration for me. So okay, I really see. enjoyed it. I think yeah. you're a terrific blogger. Uh, I know you probably write most of this stuff, I'm guessing, on oh, the website. All of it. Yeah. All of it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. but I noticed like you became a guidepost for me. Uh, I I used to be used to do the road cycling thing all the time, yeah. and then I dabbled in gravel. Yeah. And I'm like, and everything is new. So I'm like, oh, there's this like cycling group thing. <laughs> Me being relational, I love groups. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, there's a, this cycling group thing. Okay. And then I speak to a few of my friends. They're all road cyclists. Yeah. And I'm like. But this, these guys, like, they ride for real, like, gravel and stuff. They ride in, they do snort ro roads and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, wow. And then in the pandemic, I decided that I would do graveling. 
Okay. So, because yeah. I shifted, I used to work uh, five days a week out of an hospital, not a one Montfort hospital. So yeah. in person in the personality clinic. So yeah. very intense all the time. Yeah. And then I end up like working from home. They're all saying to us, you work from home now. You do therapy, but you're going to do it from home. But I had already decided I, I would leave. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, so I'll, I'm going to try, like, I can't commute anymore. I, I used to do winter commuting. Like I said goodbye to my car three, four years ago. Yeah. And I said, I'm only going to bike from now on. That's what I'm going to do. And mine is a health issue because my father passed away when I was a baby. So high cholesterol, stuff like that. So I'm 35, I'm having children, and we talked about it earlier, and I, I don't want to sort of do the intergenerational thing. So my goal became that I want to outlive my dad. Mm -hmm. So he was 35, so I outlived him. Yeah. Now my goal is to outlive my granddad, which I did this year. He was 41 when he passed away. Oh, so man. it's genetics and health. But then I... I, I, I I stumble on you guys and I'm like, wow, this master, she writes really well. Like, that's really good stuff. And then I'm, I'm starting to read your blogs. And then I notice and it's like, okay, so I get to explore Ottawa differently now. So instead of going to the hospital, I went for low. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so do mm -hmm. the, the, the dam, yeah. the Pogan dam. Yeah. So then I notice all the roots that you guys all developed together. So I'm like, man, this is an inspiration for me. I need to start doing this more. So guideposts, like seeing other humans, and you use social media really well. Like, there's one question I wanted to ask you. What, in a way that, I know you talk about photography a lot mm -hmm. in your master's thesis. Mm -hmm. It's like the, the center of it. That's it. How did that influence you in your blogging and in the way you present your cycling to people? phenomenal question i think um i'll try to go back a couple steps yeah is that okay uh, yeah thank you yeah yeah i really like it um when i was in the period of dirt jumping a lot uh, yeah. this was also a phase uh, where i rode what we would call street uh yeah. street it was effectively the mountain bike version of what yeah. bmx yeah urban um i would say like i was i was good at this um it wasn't something that tons of people were doing no. here, but like there was an exposure from the UK and, and a dirt magazine around yep. that. Um, and I was out of down, like I didn't talk about it previously, but I, I was in downhill racing for a number of years. Oh, yep. So I transitioned from, uh, so that early period there, I got into cross country racing. Uh, I got into downhill when, back when we used to race the same bike. Uh, a little bit and then I focused on downhill um, at the end of like the late 90s wow. right ar around when I went I met my wife actually I met her um, uh, at the bike shop I worked at uh, which is now a chorus <laughs> and uh, a, friend, a mutual friend uh, brought her in to meet me and basically set us up and I oh was, that's uh, sweet yeah very very much so and so she's been we've been together ever since that period where I was getting into like starting to focus on downhill racing did that for a few years and she traveled with me to races and things um, and just long story short there uh, I found I was not the best version of myself at races and I was really stressed out mm. um, there was a lot about it that I didn't handle well mm -hmm. uh, I guess emotionally mm -hmm. and um, I had to kind of just pull out of that yeah and and just go back to just riding bikes because yeah. I love riding bikes and so that's what I did I, I just like said I'm done 
Um, I had a moment, it was another um, uh, guidepost or sort of like inflection point okay. uh, in my story where I realized in a moment that I did not have what it took to be a pro down mm. racer that would get results. Yeah. Um, I was, I was sponsored at that time, um, but I needed to prove myself. Oh. It was pre social media age yeah. and, uh, the only sort of, you know, um, indicators of value were results on, on the, the, the page yeah. and photos, yeah. photos, yes. In magazines. yes, not really electronic media, but in magazines. Yeah. Uh, photo in magazines or was, cause I remember also like photos, it, my sponsors, they would give me money for not give me money, but send me more snowboards for if I was in the newspaper, but I had to clip it and send it to them just as a proof. So, so prove it type of approach. Yeah, I remember sure. that. Prove it. Um, I, I, in that period, like, uh, it was again, early electronic age. I was pretty good at communicating with sponsors, potential sponsors about what I was doing, what I wanted to do and trying to bring some value to, to, yes. to them. What I found was a strong disconnect between you know, communication wise, uh, around value where their metric for value was the result sheet and mm -hmm. it was the clippings, right? Yeah. Uh, there was nothing else. Yeah. And so I felt like I had kind of maybe more to bring to the table, especially around product nice. development because yep. I was oriented that way. I saw a lot of problems. I wanted to be part of that design spiral yeah. and part of that loop, but that's not what they were generally looking for. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of stuck in, in, in limbo, yep. I felt for a period. And when I realized in an instant that I just didn't have the talent, mm -hmm. uh, it gave me the opportunity to chart a new path. And that path that. was get off this one yeah. and, and like you're doing something else. Yeah. And that was at Montremblant and the Canada Cup. I was uh, training on a practice day and two guys, Shandro, Andrew Shandro and Jake Watson came through the gnarliest section of the course. They were going so fast that I thought to, my, I thought to myself, WTF, <laughs> that's mental. Yeah. And they were chatting. Yeah. Oh they were chatting. <laughs> and so the thing was, I realized, I realized in that moment, okay, at that speed, if you crash here, uh, death is a, is a distinct possibility. Yeah. Um, and so... I had been progressively working on my skill, like mm. putting in all the hours I possibly could to improve and get faster and get stronger. Yeah. I used to be a lot bigger than I am with muscle and everything else. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't know what else I could do. All I could see was risk. Yeah. I could take more risk. Yeah. If I took more risk and went breakless into that section the way they did and I crashed, I'm going to ruin, I can ruin my life. Yes. And I decided sure. in that moment, like, The difference between them and me is actually talent. Mm -hmm. They are processing what's going on through mm. their brains at a different speed than I am. Yeah. So they're, they're working with a different tool set. It's yeah. not different in kind, but it's different in degree anyway. Yeah. And so I realized I in that moment, there's nothing you can do to bridge that gap. Mm. I, oh, I, I don't know what that is. And anyway. mm -hmm. if I don't know what it is, there might as well be nothing. Yeah. Um, so I said, I'm out. Yeah. This is it. This is my last, this is my last race that I, that I'm going to care about. Wow. Uh, I'm just going to, I'm going to try to do my best performance. And it was downhill was always about a peak performance for yes. me. Uh, it's not really about racing against anybody. It's doing the best you can possibly do. Yeah. And the best I could ever possibly do in elite was like a 16th. Wow. At a significant, decent which was good race, too, which but... was good too. I'm, I'm, I mean, I was faster than most people, <laughs> Yeah. but that's not what it is. I wasn't 
laying down race runs that I was actually happy with mm. generally. Mm. It happened very rarely. Mm. Uh, so in that moment, I decided I'm out and I need to allow myself to get onto a different track in my life. Oh. So that was important. So then I got into the other more skill-based riding, yeah. you could say. Yeah. It's not time, it's not competition-based. Nope. So that's street, that's dirt jumping. Yeah. It involved a lot of uh, work with shovels for dirt yeah. jumping and taking the bus to Orleans and these kinds of things. <laughs> yes. Um, I was totally. proficient and good at that, mm. but that was an aesthetic discipline. Mm-hmm. Totally. And so like freestyling is whichever sport it is, it's always aesthetic. I, we were talking serious. earlier, I, I would put the posters on my wall. My wall would be plastered. It was yeah. not a white part on, on that wall, yeah. but it's all aesthetics. Yeah. But the imagery is important. Yes. So now we're going to get to the crux of your question. Um, in, in dirt jumping, Uh, you know, I had friends who would spend time hanging out essentially, maybe doing, taking some video photos. Mm. Right. And we're talking now we're in the domain of movie magic. Yeah. Right. So when I look at uh, dirt magazine in in 2001, uh, the cover photo is an amazing, probably dirt jumping photo. Yeah. And I'm like, I can do that. Like, I mean, I do Mm -hmm. stuff. I do that basically or, or similar to it. It wasn't nearly as technical as is, as it is now, like a big X. Oh yeah. Like I did that. Um, and so, you know, in turn, if I wanted to continue to progress and, you know, go in like a race four cross and do these different things and be sponsored because the objective still was to be sponsored and supported. Yeah. Yeah. Like to have this be kind of like kind of part of a, a job yeah yeah that's job security in, yeah. in those kinds of sports and the continuity like yeah. i wanted i want to be able to do this and i i never made much money working i was making a crap wage mm-hmm. working in a bike shop actually yeah like i never had money um so i was like okay this needs to be done so that it looks right like i had a sense of personal style yeah and people will, my kids will definitely say I don't have any, but like <laughs> of course. at 20 or 21, like, yes, like yes, I, had, you do. I had, I had style as a, as a writer. Uh, and then there were people who I thought didn't, and I would, you know, try to mm-hmm. capture this in video and film and, you know, uh, parlay, like ultimately the idea is parlay that and, you know, like we get a cover or whatever it is. Yeah. Right. And the problem was I realized in real time, what am I doing here? Is it for the aesthetic output or is it for the feeling of doing the thing? Yeah. What do I actually care about? What was your answer on this? It was the latter. It was, I actually care about what it feels like to do this. Mm-hmm. I don't actually care about the, the phot- photographic record. Yeah. Like it's, it's part of the, 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 the whole, the whole um, dynamic here, but I'm not really that comfortable with it. Yeah. Actually, I'm not really that com- comfortable with being able to depict my quality as a bike rider with a still image that mm. where maybe like I didn't even land that thing. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it's just superficial. Yeah. I had an issue with superficial versus material. Yep. I didn't want to be on the superficial end of the spectrum. Yeah. Makes total sense. Uh, morally. Mm-hmm. Like that was just against. Again, the ethics me. are coming back. That's right. So I had an ethical perspective on this. I didn't feel comfortable with that. I didn't feel comfortable with being in that mindset uh, wow. ad nauseum, right? And so I ended up virtually like close to breaking my neck or jumping when uh, a fork on my bike uh, snapped off. Oh, and landed, yeah. Landed properly, but it was the last straw for that particular fork. 
My wife was there. She was videotaping. Oh. She saw me slide down this jump on the front of my head. And I got taken away in the ambulance. Wow. She said to me, Matt, please, can you just agree that you will be done with dirt jumping? Like your dirt jumping life is over. And I said, yes. Wow. I said, yes, it's over. Okay. So a big shift again. Yeah. Yeah. And she wow. was there. It was very hard on her to see that. And, uh, and I totally uh, empathize. Yeah. Like that was horrible. So what, what type of empathy was it for you there? If you that respect. Was, that, that was emotional. Like it was for sure. Yeah. Like I could, she was really scared and, and, and torn up about it. Yeah. And I didn't want to her to have to experience that again. Yeah. Uh, so I said, yeah, I'm out. And so that transformed, you know, like what I was doing then was more uh, like technical street and stuff, especially when mm -hmm. we lived in Montreal. Yeah. Uh, lower scale, technical, lower risk. Like I'm not going to kill myself doing what I'm doing. Yeah. Uh, so the bikes kind of changed in that. And, uh, and just mountain biking, uh, you know, for fun, no competition generally. Uh, and as we moved through time and we had our daughter, uh, so, you know, uh, this is while we're still living in Montreal, uh, I got into riding my road bike more, yeah. pulling my daughter around. Oh, wow. What an offering by Matt. Um, I am cutting it out at this moment in time because I felt it was a great moment and a great transition to illustrate how much um, there's a richness of knowledge and just vulnerability by Matt in sharing his story and how he came about uh, initially, what influenced him uh, in order to make the decision to transition. Um, and we will get to the point as to where he is today in regards to cycling as well. Um, you guys, thank you so much for listening. I'm just so humbled and grateful for all of you listening to us. And we will have part two um, of the prequel to a collaboration next week. Uh, if you guys enjoy, just uh, give us encouragement on Instagram or on any social media. You will come across with the Overcome Cafe, Tales of Mind, Body and Relationships podcast. Um, hit us up at Cyclosomatic. This is for Matt Search. Cyclosomatic on Instagram and the same area on Instagram, LPLandry underscore Overcome Cafe. This is our handles on Instagram. So feel free to go and peruse if you want to. Thank you so much, guys. We appreciate each and every one of you listening and just yeah hit us up give us comments give us encouragement we will be glad to be here next week see you guys soon thank you bye-bye